name is Brent Bogar. I work with Jade Stone Consulting. Excellent. Thank you for joining the program here today. And one of the things that we wanted to talk to you about was a new study or a new, I guess, uh, paper, white paper or something along those lines. It's been done. It's a projection of oil and gas um, taxes or a collection of the something along those lines. It has to do with uh, oil and gas taxes and the state of North Dakota. And I'll let you kind of fill in the blanks from there because I'm. this is new. I mean, I just got this press release yesterday and I haven't really even had a chance to uh, take a look at it. So um, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about it and you're going to take the lead on it because I'm skimming as we go. Sounds good. Yeah, what we've got here is the North Dakota Petroleum Council and Western Dakota Energy Association. They partnered to put together a, a report that really went back and looked at since the um, really kind of the birth of the Bakken, um 2007 um, through 2018, which for the state would be fiscal years 2008 to 2018, look at all of the taxes specific to the oil industry. So that would be the production tax and the extraction tax. And just look at those two taxes and say, how much has the state collected in those tax dollars? And where have those tax dollars gone? The Petroleum Council, they had the position of, we want to we see where the money's um, going. As the industry, they pay these taxes. Um, and so where is the money being put to use? Western Dakota Energy, kind of the same thing, but they wanted to see, you know, um, try to, in a sense, break down this east versus west wall, that everyone has benefited from the um, oil industry and the taxes that are being paid by the state. Um, there's always going to be the argument of who needs more or wants more. Um, I joke and say, you know, every community wants an extra 5%, but at some point it adds up to over 100%, so you, no one's ever going to get exactly what they want. But that's what this kind of the uh, background of this report was, is let's, let's look at this and let's see how much has gone in to the state and where has it been put to use. And so we um, gathered that information together. Um, it turns out that over the last 11 fiscal years for the state, we're just shy of $18 billion paid in in extraction and production taxes. Uh, I always um, clarify that because that doesn't include the additional taxes that the industry pays, sales tax, income tax, local property taxes. This is just those two specific taxes to this industry, um, the extraction and production tax and where that money goes. Um, it's pretty phenomenal when you think about that. Um, the numbers show that you know, for the state, the state collects a number of taxes. We're talking over the last five years, uh, the extraction and production tax coming into the state that the state's collected is 50% of all of the taxes that the state has collected. That's sales tax, income tax, motor vehicle tax. When you ta total up all the taxes that the state collects, extraction and production tax equal 50% of those dollars. So it's a um, pretty significant amount of revenue to the state. So you're saying out of all the taxes, 50% comes from those two taxes? That's correct. And what over the last five years? Over the last five years, and that, I well, does that include income tax and all those others too, or just some a certain? It area? does. So, out of all the no. taxes in North Dakota, fifty percent of them come from the production and extraction tax. That's that, correct. That is kind absolutely of. incredible. Is that is that the norm in states like Texas and you know Alaska states that you know are in the top? 
New Mexico the top four for oil production, or is that something unique to North Dakota? Because I've always been told that North Dakota has the highest extraction tax or one of the highest in the nation. Yeah, it, it's not the norm, Jason, is that this is um, that level of dependency of revenues coming from um, a single industry like Texas. Um, there's a number of, and obviously when we start getting into uh, tax policies, comparing state to states, always a tough thing. For example, in Texas, they don't have a production tax that's collected at the state because they allow property tax at the wellhead for the local communities. And so there's always this kind of differential sure. um, where the North Dakota, they collect everything at the state and so then distribute it back, whereas some states don't. And then Alaska is always tough to compare to because people like to look at Alaska, you know, even like with here in North Dakota, we hear about the, the legacy fund is one of the funds that these tax dollars go into. Um, and people say, why can't we be out like Alaska and pay pay the citizens a dividend check like Alaska does? Well, Alaska collects taxes, but Alaska also owns the minerals and collects the, right. the royalties on those minerals. North Dakota doesn't own the minerals. They're owned by private individuals. Right. So, Alaska, it's like a ta- tax rebate every year, except for its oil. That, that's all. Yeah. Yep. And talk to people that uh, are that do business up there. And it's frustrating. It's frustrating because in order to get a single thing done, you got to put it through the legislative process for oil and gas. And you know that time is money in yep. oil and gas. So, no, I, I understand Absolutely. all that. But so my, my question, I guess, is more of when you kind of as a broad brush, North Dakota is very reliant on oil and gas taxes. I mean, that's that 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 is plain as day. If if fifty percent of the tax yep. revenue comes from those two taxes, you're not even including the amount of uh, of uh, Halliburton trucks and the amount of those those um, l- license registrations and out of fees t- uh, taxes. I mean, because there there's a let's be honest, there's a lot of people that live in Western North Dakota and even on the east side here. Uh, where if the oil and gas industry is not percolating and not moving, they're not living in our state. And so, therefore, all of that tax revenue goes away, too. I'm sure that your study did not get into that, but I do think it is worthy of mentioning. It is worthy of mentioning because, like, you're exactly right, Jason. It doesn't include the sales tax, all of those vehicles. I mean, they talk roughly two hundred to $300,000 in state sales tax for every um, well that's drilled. Um, so, you know, much larger impact to the state than just the extraction and production tax. Now, Petroleum Council, I believe in March, um, every two years, they actually commission NDSU to do an economic impact study that takes a look at those um, other taxes as well as kind of the um, secondary effects, as you know, one job in, you know, in the oil industry, well, that means you need people in support industries, whether it's retail or restaurants or services and those types of things. So they have an economic impact study coming out that looks at that, um, those secondary effects. Um, But to say that the industry is key to the state, I think, is almost an understatement at this point. Well, it is. I mean, I listen, I, I, I do an oil and gas show, and I've been doing it for like six years now, seven years. And it's no secret that I am very upfront when I tell people that oil and gas 
is vital to the economy. It's First of all, it's the only industry that's added jobs over the last 10 years. If you take every industry in the, in, in the United States and look at the net gain of jobs, all this entrepreneur and technology and startups and, and all these new things, they haven't produced a net gain in jobs after 10 years. The mining industry, aka oil and gas, is the only one that's done so. So when I take a look at a solid industry like that, and they are reliant on, on pricing, though. They're, they're reliant on pricing. Yep. To see a state so reliant on it and then constantly trying to figure out new ways to get more money out of it, that, that really, that's not, to me, that's the wrong direction. Like, instead of trying to get more money, because I'm, I'm talking with uh, Merrill Pepcorn a little bit later today, and he's got some new extraction tax, and I don't know much about it, but he's trying to increase, he's trying, basically at the end of the day, he's trying to get more money from the oil and gas companies. And I, I get I get it because I, I do a program that's energy themed. That doesn't mean I, I'm not a, a, a logical, sensible person, because when you start trying to get more money out of there, um, that's not the right way to go. It, you you want to diversify your taxes and that sort of thing so that in times of up and down, your government can stay stable and not. I mean, listen, if, if oil goes down to 30 bucks next week, which it can and it has before, and, and we all remember the 90s, it was a decade of low oil prices. It wasn't a couple months. It was a decade. So this stuff historically has happened before. My, my question is, is, is the state aware of this, and are they trying to do anything to correct it? This is great. I'm going to ask Merrill this question later on, that what, why are you trying to put more eggs in the same basket? Okay. All right. Yep. There, there, there's my soapbox question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, and I, I, I agree with you, Jason. I think we've got to be practical, you know, um, as even um, working out in western North Dakota and the Western Dakota Energy Association and its members, they used to, they'd come down to the session every, every year or every time um, here to Bismarck and basically say, uh, quick kill, don't kill the golden goose. You can only squeeze so much out of it before you're going to kill it. And that's, that's where, like this idea of increasing the extraction tax and where that comes from is in 2015, the legislature reduced the extraction tax from 6.5% to 5%. And um, in exchange for that, they got rid of what was called the big trigger, which, because oil prices had collapsed, would have actually reduced the extraction tax to 0%, and it would have stayed at that rate for nearly two years before it would have come back in. And obviously, if we would have had the big trigger, that would have been a huge loss to the state. Um, Merrill and others say, well, you didn't need to reduce the rate. You could have kept it at six and a half and just got rid of the big trigger. I don't, personally, I don't agree with that because the Bach in North Dakota competes with Texas, New Mexico, Colorado, Wyoming, Oklahoma for these capital dollars that the industry invests. They have other options, other options that quite frankly are more lucrative. You don't have cold weather. You don't have transportation restrictions, you know, capacity restrictions on pipelines and stuff in these other fields. And so you have to remember we're competing on a not just a national but a global market. And to continue to increase taxes on a single industry, um, as you said, A, you're putting all your eggs in one basket. You're continuing to lean on that basket instead of looking at ways to diversify. 
And when you see these numbers that we're talking, the amount of money that comes into this state just from this industry, it's that's a huge reliance on a single industry to support state programs, state funding for everything from education to water projects to roads. I mean, it, it's not like it's just in one area that the state uses the oil revenue. I mean, it supports the general fund. It's been used to build schools. It's been used to build um, facilities on our university campuses. It's been used to fund K-12 education, um, highways, water projects, flood control. I don't think you can find a uh, thing that has not received the benefit of the oil industry. So I'm looking at this this white paper you guys put together, this executive summary, and the headline is State Oil Tax Distribution by Type, Fiscal Years 2008 to 2018. And you've got a list of all the counties across North Dakota. And then the next thing is uh, property tax, I want to say. Yep. And... <clears throat> Talk to me about that a little bit in terms of the oil tax distribution. Now, when I look at, say, Cass County, and it says $93 million and some change, is that how much the oil tax has given Cass County? Yes. And then $322 yep. million in, in, well, $323 million actually, in water. So um, the oil taxes that have been extracted – from Western North Dakota, have been repurposed by the state and redistributed to, say, Cass County in the tune of $93 million in property tax relief. Is that accurate? That's correct. Yeah. The, oh, wow. And, um, wow. That I can yeah. see where this is going to cause some problems. You, you know, if you take the line across on Cass County... Um, it's close to a billion dollars. It's close to... I mean, it's yeah. eight, eight hundred and twenty. Million, $821 million. I'm sorry, we're going to round up $73 million. And so we're going to, say, yeah. we're going to call it eight, $821 million. Now, let's, let's juxtapose that, by the way, with, is it Williams County that Dickinson's in? Williams County is Williston. That is the, the okay. highest. Now, now, good for them. They, now, Williston's got some money. They got, you know, they got $943 million. So that is a good sign, though. That is a good sign because that's, you know, that was the hotbed and and what a lot of people don't know that are listening to this, whether you're in Wyoming or whether you're in South Dakota or Montana, or even if you're in North Dakota, a lot of these roads in Western North Dakota are actually getting, getting updated for the first time in a century. I mean, a lot of time, well, maybe not a century, but they were built to basically have a couple combines a year go down them. And that was it. I mean, these roads were so underbuilt, a rainstorm would literally move part of the road off of the road, <laughs> part of the asphalt off the road. So that's a good sign, at least, you know, that there's some investment going in there because I'm looking at, you know, a lot of it looks like transportation and some road stuff. So that's yep. a good sign that, you know, we're not going to totally it, pick it, on this thing. <laughs> no, no, it, it is a good thing. And, and that was even with Western Dakota Energy, Jeff Simons, their executive director, and he looks at this and he says, you know, this, this shows that there has been investment made out west to support the industry. Um, as I said, 
everyone's going to argue that they need more those types of things and you know i'm not going to parse into that one but uh, the reality is is we've made the state has made significant investments in the communities out west to support the industry but it's made these investments across the state for some of these projects um and so i think it's the state as a whole has very much benefited but we have to recognize the the benefits coming from a single industry and i guess from my standpoint that's that's what i see in this study is how much the state has become dependent on a single industry and we have to make sure that we you know i'll say it this way we need to make sure we take care of the industry with appropriate regulations is the tax burden the the right tax burden raising the taxes on an industry that has been supporting you this much might not be the smartest thing at this point in time when we're still in a very weak egg economy um and some of the other economic indicators of the state are not exactly the strongest and so do you really want to pick on the one that's actually um growing and supporting you well and it's it's really one of the few that's still pretty diverse in terms of economic ripple you start looking at the ua you start looking at the uas industry and some of the technology that's pretty centralized there's not the robust um economic ripple that the oil and gas industry brings in and um i i i don't know if i phrased that correctly but i i i think i kind of made a little bit of a point there that there's there's a little bit more opportunity you know yeah with with the oil and gas industry you think about it um you know, obviously you have the direct impacts, the drilling and the production happening in Western North Dakota, but the amount of engineering, the amount of manufacturing that's occurring, and even in the Red River Valley, Grand Forks, Fargo, the number of jobs that are supported, that those spinoff jobs, I think of, I can think of a couple of firms specifically in Grand Forks um, that have done tons of construction and building in Western North Dakota for these communities, whether it's building schools, whether it's building warehouses or other buildings. And so there, there is a much more broader ripple effect with an industry like uh, the oil and gas. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I used to tell people all the time back in 2012 and 13, uh, you don't think Fargo is benefiting from uh, the oil and gas? Go drive by Fargo Tank. And you can't find a tank in their parking lot, man. I mean, they were selling them left and right. And, and you know this because you were there during the early days like I was. Minneapolis was the big winner in the beginning. I mean, they had all the finance yeah. set up and they had the, uh, you know, the, the train and Mississippi and all that distribution. And they were, they were an early uh, ad- advantage, I guess, uh, in, in the oil and gas world. And it's, it's leveled out considerably since then. Um, what are you hearing from the oil and gas companies? I know your job's not to, you know, relay messages for the oil and gas companies, but this is some pretty concerning information. And I'll be honest, if this is to me, this is beyond political. This is this is something where a discussion needs to be had by everybody because if fifty percent of your state's income is reliant on one industry, and then if you really take a microscope into it, I would argue it's closer to sixty percent when you start talking about some of those those things that we were talking about—the sales tax that the uh, nomadic 
energy people bring in. And North Dakota has been trying very hard to solidify these nomadic people. And just to reiterate what you were talking about, the global marketplace, that's the real deal, people. You want to go back three, four years ago, oil companies like Liberty Oil were doing remote fracking. So they had employees down in San Antonio, but they were fracking up in North Dakota. So they would have a little shell team up here in North Dakota, but the majority of their people were, were down living in the headquarter area because, well, you know, technology has allowed that. So why do you think North Dakota has been investing so much in the quality of life? Because that's, that's the direction it's going to where if you've got a good quality of life for your family, you'll put up with some snow. You'll put up with, you know, I mean, it's not been done. It's, it's, it's not reinventing the wheel here, but what we're trying to reinvent is a quality of life for people. So, sorry, another kind of a summary there, but um, just to kind of give people some context a little bit, what what are people saying in the energy industry? Are, are you hearing that this discussion is being had, or is it still just this finger pointing over who's getting what more than who? No, I, I think you're starting to see more of the the conversation turning from the industry of them being more so of a we're we're here for the long haul and we're supporting the state and this study shows that we're supporting everywhere across the state everyone across the state and we want to continue to do that but we need to we need to be able to do it in a competitive environment and so instead of it being a finger pointing of east west type of thing and um the industry just kind of hunkering down i think um i see um, more of the conversation being we're here to support the state, but we can't be the only ones that support the state and don't don't just uh, point and uh, pick on us, I guess you could say. And okay, go ahead, sorry. No, I was just gonna say because as, as I shared earlier, I mean, when you look at um, price and production here in North Dakota prices, it's a very price dependent industry and when uh, the last numbers I heard, you know, we're at somewhere between a 7 and $9 discount off a of WTI for North Dakota crude. Well, if I can go down, if I'm a company and if I can invest, I already have lower expenses because I don't have to be dealing with the cold weather and stuff right now. And I can be down in Texas and I'm only getting a 2 to $3 discount. Well, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out where, where it makes better sense to make th- those investments. And every time that you increase a tax, that's an increase in expense on an industry. And so th- that all starts to play into it. And so they're, they're very cognizant of um, the, the impact they have on the state budget. But they're also, they're companies that they have investors, they have shareholders, they have people that they have to answer to. They can't just um, be charitable and say, oh, we'll stay in North Dakota and keep paying the higher taxes just to support the state. They've got to make business decisions. That's, that's the part I don't think people understand is this is not a game of chicken. This is a game of numbers. <laughs> I mean, it's just, yeah. it, right? I mean, can, can it be said any easier, I guess? Because you, you said the word picking on earlier, and we've actually done a few stories on that, primarily with the coal industry, how they flat out just get picked on. Um yeah, and you know, and I've I've thought that with oil and gas over the last five years, more increasingly, um, we kind of position it as it's the religion of environmentalism, to where it seems like this and 
environmentalism cause has gotten to the point of, you know, people follow it with a blind faith. They just, they, they don't look at anything else and to where it's almost got a religious type status to it. And um, with that comes the picking on just fossil fuels in general. And one thing we try to do on this program is have a lot of innovation on to explain how the industry is actually being pretty proactive uh, with trying to be cleaner than they already are and that sort of thing. So, um, cause yep. yeah, anyway, it's, yeah, we, we try to be logical about it. Cause I mean, trying to remove the world from fossil fuels is a ridiculous statement. It's absolutely ridiculous. And any media that actually believes that is a real thing that can happen should not be, have any credibility or credentials at all. Um, and that's just, that, that's not a biased statement. That's just a fact of life. Um, I want to ask you, I mean, we have, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, and if you talk to the oil and gas industry and even the coal industry, they're not, they're not trying to say that we shouldn't invest in renewables and use renewable energy. They're just saying, we've got to be realistic. It's an above all policy. It's an above all position because we're still deriving, you know, we can talk numbers and numbers can get skewed, but the reality is, 80 plus percent of our energy is still from fossil fuels. You can't flip that switch tomorrow and say we're going to use all renewables. And so what they want, and I think what a logical person would say is, let's invest in all of them, but let's be realistic about where it's actually coming from and what those benefits are. And let's continue to see the the continued um, innovation in these industries. I think of the oil and gas industry compared to 20 years ago, you look at what they're doing with multi-pad well sites so that the the impact that they're putting on the land is so, you know, it's a tenth of what it was before with the, you know, and that's a simple innovation thing. But, I mean, they are making significant investments to lessen their impact, to be responsible development of the energy um resources yeah i i actually the whole reason i remember originally when i got into this i thought i was going to be some investigative reporter and you know be like shooting fish in a barrel against the energy industry and after about five minutes i realized they needed help they didn't need you know they, they really don't but they do because they are unfairly and unjustly picked on they are and I, I know they don't need, yep. need your help or my help because they're big enough and they take care of themselves. But it's just, it, to me, it was one of those things that I felt like I was actually doing good, like exposing some of the, the, the myths that were out there. Because, listen, they're, they're out there like crazy. In fact, that's one of the reasons I'm having Meryl Pep, Pepcorn on because I told Meryl, I said, Meryl, I'm not going to agree with anything you say probably. But this conversation of this extraction tax keeps coming up in the state of North Dakota. And I want to find out why. And now I know why, because it's the low hang, it's the low hanging fruit. If you're a politician and you need to raise money for the state, well, the low hanging fruit is oil and gas. And they're so big that, you know, we can pick on them. And if they fight back, well, now they're picking on us. I mean, there's a reason oil and gas is a hard time uh, in the public relations world. I mean, they're, they're, they're probably the worst. Uh, out of all the industries when it comes to PR, because they don't, they can't, yeah. they can't. And if they try to stick up for yep. themselves, they, 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 they become the aggressor. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yep. they got all the money. Well, <laughs> yeah. Or 
they or they look like they're just trying to buy people off and that's why you don't hear the stories of when and i'm sure it was the same when you were in dickinson jason when i was in williston the amount of community support that the oil and gas industry provides whether it's donating money to pay build a playground at the schools or you know i remember one company actually bought a brand new pickup for the hospital because they needed one for a pickup for their uh, grounds crew you know just those little things that the industry does and they don't take out press releases for it because if they do they get lambasted as trying to buy people off and it's like that's not what they're doing they're supporting the communities that their their employees live and work in well and that's a that's a great point in fact that is a study i would like to see done so uh petroleum council if you're listening uh jeff simon over at the western dakota energy if you're listening this would be an outstanding study doug burgum you know what doug burgum governor of north dakota if you're listening i this is why this study is so important we've been doing this on our program for a number of years we call it community and culture and what we do is we talk to those individuals from the ronald mcdonald house and from you know uh, head start and the places that get the donations because you're right very few times do the oil and gas companies come on uh publicly and talk about you know donating a million dollars to watford city so they can now have an emergency room um you see what i mean to where they, they don't you're right yep. they don't they don't like to brag about it but you know what the ronald mcdonald house they don't have any problem talking about 25 grand from xto they love it so we try to backdoor it and let people know about it that way and the reason we do that is because we want people to know that not only does oil and gas pay the lion's share of the taxes which go to your schools and your roads and your health care and a lot of these other a lot of these other necessities that are known as the pillars of life they also go above and beyond and donate a million dollars to watford city so that they can have a, a an emergency room because that local community doesn't get enough tax dollars to have a hospital or so that stanley can now have an updated uh school with bathrooms that are not outhouses or something like, you know what I mean? To where that, that's a, that, that is an important part of this oil and gas story that needs to be told. The amount of donations that have been given to really services that the government should be providing. Does that make sense? It, it does, you know, and that would be you know, scary the to see. community outreach they do. I think it would be mind-blowing to even people in those communities who who see it firsthand to an extent, but you never, you don't see everything. You know, you don't see, you might see the, because you, you work at the hospital or a family or friend works at the hospital and you hear about it there, but then you don't hear about what they did for Head Start. You don't hear what they did to for the community library. You don't hear what they did for um, the Salvation Army or for the homeless shelter. I mean, you don't hear all of those things, and and even if you do, it's it you don't add it all up, and you start to add up those donations, you start to add up those in kind um, contributions that these companies make, where they they t they take their entire um, office staff out of the office for a day to pick up ditches along the highway, or to go clean up a city park, or to go paint classrooms in a school. You know those types of things. It's significant. Has there ever been a study they, they like know. that done? Has there ever been a community impact, an economic community impact study like that done? Because you start, you, when you started mentioning pick up the patch and some of those other things, you're right. I mean, it, this goes beyond the buildings. <laughs> this is this is you know human labor too. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, 
not that I know of, not that I know of. And I think, and that's the part where for me, we have to remember that this it's, it's the oil industry, but any industry, whether it's oil, education, UAS, banking, what drives that is people. There are people that make that up. And so it's the people within the industry. And we have to remember there are people behind that industry that make it happen. And so it's very easy to pick on an industry as a um, entity, but you have to remember there are people behind that that you then are, that's who you're actually targeting is those people that are making that difference that are actually part of that industry. Yeah, it's yeah. They get treated like a monolithic monster, is what I used to call them. Um, but I t- but it's amazing, you know. Like I remember the first time I went to Pittsburgh, how clean that was. I was expecting this dirty town, and I was just a beautiful city. And it was like that in a lot of other oil and gas communities and energy communities that I would go to, to where my upbringing, you know, Harry the Dirty Dog, that book, you know, about how he goes in the goes exploring the world and goes to the coal plant and gets all dirty, you know, that sort of thing. And that, that wasn't the case, you know, it's, it's this, it's this totally, you know, and I I think about what's going on out at the Davis refinery, how, you know, they've been scrutinized for almost two years on things. And every time when it comes down to it, the judge and the, the state and the regulators always rule in favor of the Davis refinery because they continue to provide the data and the facts and, you know, not just chicken little speculation and that sort of thing. So anyway, um, I, I, let's get back. I want to get back to the study quick. And um, what's the goal of this study? Uh, this seems like it, it should help solve a lot of questions and satisfy a lot of questions and, and, and probably debunk a lot of myths when it comes to distribution of, of funds and that sort of thing. But uh, what you know, what, what's the real intent behind this? Is it to really kind of get rid of some of this political bickering? <laughs> I, I, th- I think that that's a great way to put it, Jason, is, is that it's to debunk some of the myths that are out there in regards to where the money's gone. And that we, you know, I've actually heard, and I'm up at the Capitol quite a bit, I've heard some legislators and um, other people say, you know, the West has gotten it all. They should be, cut. they're greedy because they, they need, they want more money for their highways or whatever. And it's like, well, I think you've got, everyone has gotten some money. I've actually heard some, it's say, it's our turn now. The West has gotten their money. They don't need any more. We should get it out East. Those are some of the statements that are out there at times. And I, so I think this is about education and debunking. It's not about trying to say, prove a point of the West needs more money or the industry should pay less. I mean, obviously, you know, if they choose to use the information that way they can, but that in when I was um, commissioned to, to work on this, that was not their intent. Their intent was for an educational piece to put something out there so that people could actually see the numbers, see the impact across the state so that you could just um, tone down some of that rhetoric. So when it comes to next steps on this, um, the, this just came out yesterday, and I don't know if you've had a chance to brief the governor. Are, are you going to brief the governor or will be in front of the Industrial Commission? Talk to me about some of the, the, the leaders at the state and how they are going to get access to this information, just by press release, or is it going to be a formal briefing, I guess? Well, we're going to see. Um, 
we actually, the Petroleum Council of Western Dakota Energy actually handed this out yesterday um, to the legislators. Every legislator on their desk got a copy of the, of the report so that they could see it themselves. Uh, there's been, um, you know, I'll, I'll say an open invite that anyone that wants, you know, any group, whether it's um, a, a caucus group, a sub a committee from the legislature, if anyone wants a presentation and more information on this, this study at this point, um, we're available to do that. And we're just going to um, kind of see um, where where the questions are and be, be available to answer the questions and share this information. Okay. Um, yeah. I, cause like I said, I, I think this is to the point to where, you know, I'm not saying emergency session, but there should probably at least be a public contingency plan if oil drops a certain point. I mean, I'm just saying, man, that 50% of the state's budget is reliant on this. And like I said, if you look at a microscope, it's probably more like 60%. So this to me is not a political issue. This is more of a, hey, guys, this is a real problem that could happen much more than some of the other issues that you guys are deciding, whether, you know, what was I reading the other day? Increase their per diem uh, so they can have some more lunches or something like that. And uh, you know what I mean? It's every year all these frivolous oh, yeah. ones come up. And I'm looking at this going, this, this something like this seems like it should have been on front page of the paper, you know, so. Yeah, but this, this is big news. And yeah, I mean, it's 50% of the revenues. Now, it's not necessarily 50% of what we run on because we got to, you know, of those tax dollars, 30% of those oil and gas tax dollars are going into the legacy fund, sure, which becomes, sure. that's a whole new can of worms in regards to what do we do with the, with that legacy fund. And, you know, I, I say, you know, we've got 141 legislators. So that means that there's probably at least 282 ideas of how to use the, um, legacy fund, um, up at the Capitol right now. So we'll have to see how that all plays out, but that, that fund is all oil and gas tax dollars. And so I think we have to be cognizant of how those dollars are used. Mm-hmm. That, um, now, the, they, that, that legacy fund does have some restrictions, right? It, it does. I mean, it does and it doesn't, I guess, is the way <laughs> I would say it. The Depends on how creative you are with the language, right. huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and the principal can't be touched unless the legislator votes with a supermajority, and they, even at that, they can only spend 15% of the principal. Um, That's right, and it, it is a supermajority, too, so that, that, is, a, that is an it, important it part is. of that, yeah, yeah. Yep, and, but the earnings, the earnings off the legacy fund are just transferred right into the general fund, and in the past, they have... Um, when it first started getting earnings, when it was first put in, they actually just transferred the, those earnings right back into the legacy fund. They didn't use those in the general fund. Well, the last two sessions, they've used the earnings of the legacy fund for for general government, for general fund balancing and those types of things. And so now you're creating another situation where there's somewhat, there's you're creating the situation potentially of becoming dependent on those earnings to fund general operations of government. And I'm not sure that that, if you went back to 2010 when the legacy fund was put in front of the voters, I'm not sure that that was the intent of those that um, put the legacy fund together was for it to be used to fund general operations. Yeah, boy, I tell you, give them an inch. They take a mile, that's for sure. <laughs> that's Well, it is. There's a lot to this that people don't get. And 
the more the more layers that really get pulled apart here is it's shown that North Dakota is a lot more of an oil and gas energy state than it is agriculture. That's kind of that's that's kind of the the way the wind's been blowing. And it's not an ag versus oil thing. It just shows that that's kind of the direction of the economy right now and the way that the businesses yep. are going. And I, I don't know if that's true or not. I know North Dakota's ag is still doing robust. I think we're between 13 and 17 of the number one uh, uh, commodities in the nation, like number one in honey, number one in dry peas, and, you know, we, in addition to some, you know, other ones. So ag is doing just fine, don't get me wrong, but the amount of attachments to the oil and gas industry through the, the government is uh, much more than ag is what I'm getting at. So, um, yeah. Anyway, yep. yeah. Well, what's next for you? What are you going to do on this? Are you going to, if, if you need me to do a presentation on the east side of the state, I certainly can, because to me, this sounds like, you know, uh, you get in your car and you go from city to city and, and explain to the people who want to show up and, and learn about it type of a thing. Are you going to do anything like that? Or is it just kind of, you know, yeah, wait, wait and see? <laughs> that, that honestly, that is one of the goals is to utilize this and do a little bit of a a road show and get out and show people, you know, what the impacts are and come into communities and, you know, not, not that it's, it's not about, um, picking on them, but it's just helping them understand, you know, like even going through. So the report, it totals everything up, but, but highlighting a number of projects, one of the big projects that in doing this and, uh, sticking out, you know, Grand Forks, there's $126 million, uh, facility, the medical school building put on UND's campus that was built, that was paid for by oil dollars in, for the city of Grand Forks or for uh, UND. You know, so highlighting to these communities some of those types of benefits that they, they have seen in their communities and the impacts across the state, you know, and not just highlighting that and saying, see, you got this, you shouldn't get anything more. It's more of a, see, you have benefited and you're going to continue to benefit. Oh, I think it's great. Yeah, anything we can do to help you out, let us know. I mean, that's that. I I think that is one of the most important messages for North Dakota to understand is how diverse the oil and gas industry has been to the state. I I just, it's my and 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 you know this because you were out there. If you see it, you figure it out pretty quick. But if you're, you know, the, what a lot of people don't understand about North Dakota, it's a very different state. Sixty um, percent of the voting population is. Is, is on the east side of the state. Uh, and I'm talking like 45 miles from the border. It used to be Jamestown, but now I think it's between Jamestown and Valley City is you draw a line and yep. you get 60% of the population on the east side of the state. So the masses have absolutely no idea what the oil and gas industry is. They're so far removed from yeah. it. And the older generations weren't around during the 90s and 80s, or during the 80s boom type of a thing. So they don't understand much about it. And there was some spite. So I, I get that. And so I, I think this is a great study. I think it's something that needs to be uh, explained to the state because the state is a new oil state. The whole state is new. They don't understand how oil works. You go down to Texas, every part of that state gets how oil works, man. They all get it. So does Oklahoma. You know what I mean? They don't. They, they, and, and, and then you go to North Dakota. And like I said, they're. We're still, you know, trying to figure out how to get our sea legs on, I guess, you know, that type of thing. Because yep. it, it, it'll iron out. Well, it will. Yeah. 
it, it will. And one of the unique things compared to like some of the other states like Texas and Oklahoma specifically, they have, their oil industry is not as concentrated as North Dakota's is. You know, you can draw a line just like the population. The oil industry is really basically the same thing. You know, you're, you're looking um, 70, 80 miles off of the Montana border is the, the bulk of the industry. And there's a little bit beyond that, you know, getting over to Minot and up into Botno and stuff. But, you know, there's no, there's no oil in um, Bismarck. There's no oil and gas in Fargo or Grand Forks or Jamestown. And so other states, it's, it's more a part of their entire state in regards to that development, people right. being impacted and seeing that. And so that's that's one of the things, and, and you're right, too. We're getting our sea legs under us. So, I mean, we went from being, what, the 10th largest oil-producing state to the second largest oil-producing state in about four, four or five years. Exactly. I mean, that's some significant rapid growth. You know, that's like... I was, I compare it to like a, a high school kid that one summer he grows six inches and he goes out and he tries to play basketball. He's so uncoordinated that for, for those first couple of weeks of basketball practice because he just grew so much over the summer. And that's kind of where we're at. <laughs> I wish I would have done my other example because the one I wanted to say was a ninth grade basketball player, but I didn't think you'd understand that because you it's, you look at these ninth grade basketball players, half of them, their feet are too big for their bodies. And so they're going yep. through that growth spurt. It's, they're, it's comical to watch, you know, because it's, you know, some of them are like really good, but they're done growing. And so they're just, yep. <laughs> oh, I wish I would have went with my, see, instincts, ninth grade basketball players, um, which is like, you know, getting your sea legs. You're just trying to understand yourself. And that's what North Dakota is doing yep. right now, trying to understand itself. And this study is a really good study to help people understand that um, these people out West that have been standing up on their soapboxes and not demanding stuff, just looking for some equity and some fair and balanced treatment to it. And I think that is at least going to catch some of the people's eyes. Don't you agree that at least at the end, you'll probably get a little more, bit more fairness now from the state? I, I do. And I think Western Dakota sees that. The Western Dakota Energy Association sees that um, with this information coming out, um, people are recognizing that, hey, um, we've got to continue to make those investments. We've got to make, allow these communities to make the right investments in their community for, for their infrastructure, but also to support the quality of life so that we can support this workforce that's here because it, we are competing on a global stage for a workforce and for capital investment. And so we need to, we need to put our best foot forward as a state and as local communities um, for the industry. Well, I just noticed the time. We've uh, went beyond our 10-minute interview here a little bit, so I should probably get right. I got a chili cook-off I got to interview next, so you go from taxes to chili cook-off. That's, uh, hey, man, keep the variety and spice of life going, I guess. Um. <laughs> Absolutely, man. So, well, I, I, I appreciate the time, Jason, yeah. and we will be in touch. I'll definitely reach out to you or in, with um, whether it's Jeff or Ron or whatever, but I do think that we want to probably do a little bit of a dog and pony show and would definitely um, welcome any assistance you could provide on that. And um, well, I'd appreciate we'll it. Yeah, no problem. And, you know, I'm emceeing the Bach and barbecue again this year. So some people think I can be bigger than life at times. So that's, that's a good sign. <laughs> um, uh, what, what, real quickly, how can people access this information? Do you guys have it at a website or something? We do. It's actually um, at taxstudy.ndenergy.org. 
the ndenergy.org is the Western Dakota Energy Association's uh, website. Okay. And we just we made it a nice easy link. Um, taxstudy.ndenergy.org for people to go out there and find this information. Outstanding. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. You bet.